Okay, let's uh, turn to Ecclesiastes 1. Okay, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor, man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Okay, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. It's well understood that this happened towards the end of his life. Uh, Solomon, as you know, got a gift of wisdom. He asked God for uh, wisdom, and that's what he got, and he also got blessed with great riches. Solomon probably is the figure in the Bible that had was blessed with the most riches, had the most power. Under him, the uh, nation of Israel prospered. They had enlarged territories. Uh, so it was a lot that happened in Solomon's time. He was the king, and pretty much he had rule over the whole nation. Uh, the book Ecclesiastes, the, the Hebrew word which I remember for the title of this book is koholeth, which literally means a preacher. It actually means one who dresses an assembly. So that's why it's called the preacher. Uh, and then you have a, a situation here where we know that Solomon was the king of David, or sorry, the son of David. And in verse 1, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you look up the word vanity in the dictionary, there's a few definitions for it. One is futility. One was worthlessness. And we also know that a vanity is a piece of furniture with a mirror that you can look at yourself in. What does that tell you? <laughs> if you're consumed with yourself, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? So we learn a little bit about that. Um, he says in, in verse 4, One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. So this is a situation where people are coming and going, people are living and dying, and the earth still rotates, and the heavenly bodies are still rotating. But people come and people go. Our life is like dust. Uh, that reminds me of that song. Every time I, <laughs> you're all laughing, dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. So... Actually, as you read the book, you start you start to get kind of like a little down. You know, Solomon talks about a lot of things, and you would think that as the king with the most money and the most power and the most armies, and in, in a sense there was peacetime from invasion, uh, the nation was pretty secure. You think the guy would be happy, but as we go through the book, we find out that he doesn't seem to be really happy. And he makes a good point at the end of the book that. All is worthlessness. Life is really means nothing without God. We'll get to that point. So I really believe that, you know, we know that Solomon was blessed with wisdom. 
although going through the scriptures, it seemed a lot of times like he didn't use that wisdom. God gives us gifts. God gives us things that we can do to further the kingdom of heaven. But we still have free will. We can choose to kind of ignore that and go our own way. And you see that Solomon did do that in a lot of his life. But I believe God allowed him to have such increase, to have, have uh, reached such greatness, so that it would be an object lesson for everyone else to see. Well, here's a man who did it all. He had all the wine he could want. He could want. He had a, a, like a thousand wives. He had uh, great riches. He had power. He had all these things, and he still wasn't happy. So to me, this is the book of the object lesson that without God, it doesn't matter. People chase after things all the time. People, you know, you ever watch somebody who gets interviewed by the news, there's some neighbor of maybe a serial killer, and they, they want to hog the microphone? It's like everybody wants that 15 minutes of, of fame, whether it's, you know, their face in the, in the, picture, on the, uh, in the picture in the paper or on, on the news or whether it's success. Some people strive so hard for success, and that's what it's all about. But, you know, our lives can really be cut short. Um, I know this firsthand as a police officer. About two months ago, Marty and I went to a call. It was an accident, and uh, it was in, in the township of South Brunswick. The vehicle went off the road, and it was going pretty fast, and it hit a tree. And there was two people in their 20s, a male and a female. I don't want to go into too much detail, uh, but they both lost their lives. And if you saw the scene, it was pretty gruesome. It's not a pretty thing. Uh, and people lose their lives every day. We lose about eight people just in South Brunswick alone to motor vehicle accidents. We go to calls where people are trying to kill themselves. We go to calls where people are ODing. They're, they're killing themselves in a different way. Um, every day that I put on the uniform and I go to work, there's a restraining order to be served or a divorce or a child custody problem. It's just so depressing. But the interesting thing about this book is that Solomon said all this without the foresight to know about Jesus Christ. Now, when we have Jesus Christ in our lives, the whole story changes. There's a much better picture that we see, right? So go a little further. He talks about, uh, in verse 6, the wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. The Bible is also very scientific. People have taken this uh, and really meditated on this and developed patterns for the winds and meteorology. Uh, the next verse is even more interesting. It says, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. I want to turn to Psalm 8.8. Let's start with verse 6. Psalm 8, verse 6. He says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. I actually took notes here so I never can forget it. There was a man named, if I could read my handwriting, his name was Matthew Morey. He was a naval officer. He discovered the sea and wind paths because he was a Christian and he read the Bible. He read this, and he read Ecclesiastes, and he actually developed, uh, this man actually developed, if you look up in history, he charted the paths of the sea. So if you were, whether at the Atlantic or the Pacific, it took a very long time for the ships to go from one coastline to the other. 
say, from Europe to the United States, going west. Well, he said to himself, he meditated on this. This is what happens when you meditate on God's word. You come to incredible conclusions because the Lord has wisdom. He gives us wisdom through his word. He meditated on this, and what he found out was that, uh, that there's actually currents deep underneath the ocean, that there's paths that go all around the, all around the globe. And what he, what he developed was these paths that you could cut your time by several months if you, if you could follow these paths going from Europe to the United States, one continent to the other. And he actually charted all this, and uh, he made the sea trade route a lot faster by following these paths. Isn't that interesting? Just by meditating on God's word. So there's a lot of science in here. I love science, and I, I get so excited when I read these things. I've got to take notes. It says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Isn't that the truth? All things are filled with labor. Everything just keeps running. If, if we kind of sit out in the race, things just keep going. The earth keeps rotating. The heavenly bodies keep rotating around the sun. Uh, new day keeps dawning, and the night keeps falling. And, and the, the birds are up and, and making noise, and the animals are at my porch looking for cat food and stuff. So uh, all the little critters out there, God, you know, God just does that. But sometimes, you, if you look at it this way, we could... We could step out of the race. Paul talks about running the race. And the world just keeps going. But Paul tells us when we run the race, when we do our Christian walk, when we live our Christian life, run the race as to win. Not somebody who's just beating the air. Run the race as to get the prize. We, we're not supposed to, we're not, this isn't a spectator sport being Christians. It's like we're in the Olympics and we're all kind of running together. And we all kind of help each other along and, and give each other a push that we need. But this isn't a spectator sport. We're supposed to run the race. We're supposed to do everything we can to please God, to help our fellow man, to bring keep people into the kingdom. Do you know that God could preach the gospel himself? He could have angels hover around and just start preaching the gospel. But he chooses us. Why would he do that? I wonder that myself. What am I doing here? <laughs> I ask myself, why me? But with all our frailties, my favorite Hebrew word now, my new, my new word is enosh. That word means mankind, but it also means frailty. Isn't that interesting? It's frailty is attached to mankind. But even in our frailty, God uses us and he pumps us up to give his word to other people so they could get saved. And we're all sinners. We're all, we're all screw-ups. But he still, he still entrusts his word, the most precious thing, the pearl of great price, with us. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So... It says, verse 9, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. So you have a situation where nothing's new, whether in pleasures, whether in sins. People come up with all these new ways to, to have pleasure. But there's nothing new. There's variations of things people have done hundreds, maybe thousands of years ago. But there's nothing new. There's nothing new in vices. And there's nothing new in good things. And in that, what I mean by that is the Bible tells us that in times past, God spoke to people through the prophets. Today, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing new. There are people who try to come up, you know, these new these new spurious religions. We have something new. You've never heard this before. God is bringing new revelation. All the revelation you need is right here in this book. There's nothing new under the sun. 
God has asked us to do a simple task, and that's what we're to do. So, keep, keep going here. Um, again, I'm, I'm, this is Joe Unplugged today. You know, I'm, again, I didn't even have a chance. I'm trying to eat dinner and look through the scripture, and <laughs> I'm doing the best I can here. This is all the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, verse 12 says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This grievous task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So, he's a pretty smart guy. He's got the gift of wisdom. He has the self-appointed task of kind of writing the book of life, if you will. And who better to write the book of life than somebody who's experienced everything? So this is what he's doing. And he keeps coming to the same conclusion. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. There, there is an impact that we can have, but it's limited. The world is just going to continue to go, whether we're here or not. But the impact that Solomon didn't see is the impact that we can have for Christ. That's the impact. Uh, we find out later that... that uh, Jesus did make the crooked path straight, and he, he you know, abased every mountain, and he, and he filled in every valley. He made every, everything the way it should be. So this, that's the foresight that we have by looking at this. Verse 16, I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Again, you, you kind of, this is like an antidepressant moment. I mean, the more you read this book, you, you kind of, kind of, kind of brings you down. It's raining out. The weather's getting cold. I'm sorry to do this to you, but it is, it is God's word, and we can learn from it. But basically, he says here that he's attained great wisdom. And he knew wisdom, and he knew madness, and he knew folly. He lived a lot of his life in folly and foolishness, although he could have cho chosen to follow the path that God set forth for him and the instructions that God gave him. But he chose to go off the wrong path, and it hurt him later on in his life. And I believe this book is a, a book about regrets. He's got a lot of regrets, especially in the, initially when he speaks about it. Guys, let's not have any regrets. If the Lord came for us tonight, could we say to the Lord, could we look him in the eye and expect him to say to us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Servant, could, could, we, could we really expect him to say that of us? We have to look at our lives and say, I don't want any regrets. I want to live my life for the Lord. I want to please God. I want to do what he's called me to do. So as Solomon looks back and he has regret, we should learn from his mistakes and not have those regrets. Be everything we can be in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's kind of like uh, the biblical version of ignorance is bliss. So no matter how smart he got, no matter how many things he learned, it still caused him great sorrow. And then I'm going to go, we're going to go through the next 11 chapters, and hopefully we can get done before 12. <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to jump right to chapter 12. He says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. 
While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, in a day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because there are few, and those that look through the windows grow dim, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low, when one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low, also when they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way, when the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden and the desire falls. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. So you have a situation where he, where he says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. And in the Hebrew, that word creator is plural. You get a, an idea of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament. There's many scriptures that point to uh, plurality of God. Even when in Deuteronomy 6, O hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The word for one is echad in uh, Hebrew, and that means it is a plural nature there. It means a, a, a compound unity. It doesn't mean a solitary one, because there is a word in Hebrew that means that, but it wasn't used in Deuteronomy. Moses didn't use that word, and I believe that was by the direction of the Holy Spirit. So when you read the scripture, even in the Old Testament, you get a glimpse. They all got a glimpse of what was to come, what God's true essence was about. So remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. Or in other words, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. This is a picture of where, you know, it's have a good foundation. Solomon, he dabbled, I believe. And again, I can't judge his heart, but if you look at his fruits, they weren't really good for a good part of his life. hate to pick on Solomon, but... It, it does help us to understand things. So he says, remember, remember your creator in your youth. I think that he's trying to get the message to his readers, us, people who are going to come after him. Do it the right way, guys. Do it the right way. Number one, it's never too late to find the Lord. It's never too late to believe in Jesus and be saved. But also, if you're dabbling in your Christian walk, don't do it. Because your foundation is shaky. If you remember the Lord in your youth and then all your days from that point on till your later years in life, it'll be more fulfilling. He had to learn the lesson the hard way. Let's not us le- learn the lesson the hard way. Let's have a strong foundation. And in the years when you say, I have no pleasure in them, then he starts talking about different things here. It's, it's, it's a problem for him. He's, he's, I believe there's some uh, remorse there that he's speaking of. In verse 6, he says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So verse 6, remember your creator before these things happen. And these aren't good pictures. The golden bowl is broken, pitcher shattered at the fountain. You know, it's not like we, we have Tupperware. <laughs> we drop a pitcher, it bounces off the tile floor and pick it up and wipe it off and just put the water back in it. Back then, they had a lot of clay implements. They had uh, wood implements. And when something broke, it wasn't an easy thing to start putting it back together again. Or the wheel broken at the, uh, the, wheel broken at the well. All these things could have been problematic for people if these things happened. They were all bad things. So... He's saying again, he says that as in verse 6, as in verse 1, remember your creator before these things happen. 
And then verse 9, he says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. So he's, fear God and keep his commandments, basically. He's, he did set out to write the Proverbs. He set out to write the Proverbs. He wrote Song of Solomon, and he wrote Ecclesiastes. And even though, it's funny how we can make mistakes in our lives. We could really mess up. But we could give other people great, <laughs> great counsel. It's like your life is really messed up, but you can, you can sit down with somebody and open up the Word of God and help somebody, and they can say, wow. That really made me feel great. Thank you so much for that word. Right? So even in Solomon's condition, even where he was going in his life, he still knew the right path. He still could fall back on that. He still could lift other people up with those words. And verse 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here it is. Here's the whole crux of the book. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon talks about even having servants. Solomon talks about uh, all the wine that he drank. Solomon, I mean, we could go through all the chapters in here. He talks about the buildings that he built, uh, things to really be proud of, proud of, achievements in his life. Solomon talks about, it, he goes, I, I built all these things, and who am I going to leave it, leave it to? What if my son is a fool, he basically says. So he's even frustrated now when he dies. Will the stuff that I built, will the empire that I built, will the, the next guy be a dummy, or will he be wise and do something good with it? So the whole commandment, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Our lives are like dust. I can remember things when I was five years old, and it seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> so time really does fly. I remember my wife giving birth. My son is now six years old. I remember being in that hospital room like it was yesterday. I can tell you everything that went on there, but I won't do that. Uh, so, so our life really is like dust, and uh, basically we're supposed to fear God and keep his commandments. And God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. I think Solomon... I know Solomon knew that everything that he did would be brought into judgment. I believe that Solomon was very forthcoming with his life because it, it, the Lord just showed him to open up his heart and to bear his soul and to help people to learn from his mistakes. So I, I want to tell you, uh, we, we've suffered some hits as a church. And tonight, <laughs> I lost my elders tonight. I lost Jody Cross my wife is sick, uh, my, my tech guy is gone, and your pastor is definitely being sifted as wheat. I'm definitely being sifted. Satan, believe, without a doubt, has asked for me, and for what, and the Lord has allowed him to do it. And I believe that the Lord is trying to show me some things through this. But I do believe and I do know that the Lord started this work because he wanted this work. He's going to try all of us. It's, it's, we have an unusually high service rate. We have about 25 to 30 percent of the church serving in some capacity, whether it's worship or children's or usher or the book table or uh, the home groups. I know I'm going to miss somebody, so forgive me, the elders. (laughs) 
We have so much, so many people serving, and I, there's so many applications of people that want to serve. We have an incredibly high service rate, and we also have an incredibly high affliction rate. In the year that we've been here, people have lost relatives, people have been in the hospital, people have had surgery, people have had their house broken into tonight. A lot of things are happening. So Jesus said that the servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Um, and Satan is going to try to have his way with us. But we have to stand fast in the word of God. Our prayer life has to be good. Our relationship with our spouses have to be good. Guys, we have to really be very close to the Lord. You know, now is the time that we're going to notice that. And if we're not, we're going to, you know, Satan's going to see what we're made of. So for the rest of the, the time that we have together, what I want to do is, and I think it's very needed, the fact that I had like less than an hour's notice to prepare, I did the best I could. Uh, I really believe that the Lord is telling us that we, we should have prayer. So what I want to do is for the rest of the evening, I'm going to pray. And when I'm done praying, I want, we'll just have corporate prayer. I want people to, to speak up and, and lift your voices to the Lord. Let, let us all hear what you're having to say. Let the Lord have, hear what you have to say. And let's, let's end in prayer.